I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. Welcome to School of Everything Else. Gravity Falls, Season 1, Part 2. We return to the town of Gravity Falls, and this podcast will be covering Season 1, Episodes 7 through 12. So that's Double Dipper, Irrational Treasure, The Time Traveller's Pig, Fight Fighters, Little Dipper, and Summer Ween. Spoilers for all those episodes, but for nothing beyond that. And welcome back, Karu Nagisa. Rose before dinos! (laughs) And Debbie Morse. From Sequentially Yours, and Theo Lee. I'm one millimeter taller than everyone else. (laughs) From from the New Century Multiverse, and from our Guillermo del Toro shows, and recently Fantastic Beasts and CrossFit Shrek, it is uh, Lauren Grieve, but there is a personal announcement you'd like to make regarding uh, that name. Yeah, so... Anybody who's listened to me before, you know, know me as Lauren Grieve. I talk an awful lot about transgender issues because I am, in fact, a trans woman. And in, recently I've been going by a different name and I wanted to make sure that we incorporated that. So I have been and it looks like I'm going to be keeping the name Victoria Luna Brennan Grieve for the time being. So I appreciate if everybody would use either Victoria or Luna. That's an appropriate nickname um, for me. Uh, I, I would appreciate that going forward. No problem at all. No problem here. Uh, I'm going to go with Luna right now because just prior to this episode starting recording, I got into a tussle with our golden retriever, Indy, and he headbutted me in play under my chin, ramming my top teeth into my lower lip. It drew blood, so my lower lip is stinging like crazy right now. So just making a V sound hurts. So Luna is fine right now. But uh, I will endeavor to, uh, to to use Victoria where appropriate. Well, I appreciate that. And I do think it's really cute that you wanted to go with a more mundane explanation rather than the real explanation that you were in a fist fight with a manatar. <laughs> and, um... Actually, it was the wolf boy. <laughs> Okay, so... um, He still is. He's also (laughs) podcasting. That's his dedication. (laughs) Comedy goals! All right, all right. Party supplies are now off limits. Mr. Pines, whose birthday is it again? Nobody's. Thought this party might be a good way to get kids to spend money at the shack. Nice. The young people of this town want fun? I'll smother them with fun. Maybe comments like that are why kids don't come to the mystery shack. Hey, hey! How's about you make yourself useful and copy these flyers? Oh, boy, a trip to the copier store. Calendars, mugs, T-shirts, and more. They got it all at the copier store. That's not their slogan. I just really feel that way about the copier store. Save the trouble. You know the old copier in my office? I finally fixed the old girl up. Good as new. (gasps) Butterflies. Does it even work? 
Oh my gosh, Mabel, I think this copier can copy human beings! Okay, so uh, episode seven is Double Dipper, and it's another Dipper episode. Um, in fact, so yeah, a lot of these episodes, honestly, like the the, the first sort of ten or so, they're, they're very much from Dipper's point of view. They, they, it takes a while to sort of get round to ones which showcase Mabel. And um, they, they're kind of playing with a, a kind of a, a bunch of repeat things, like uh, in this one, he's back on the whole, like, want to impress Wendy uh, wagon. And uh, I like the fact that they got to a point where they were like, we are going to confront this and deal with it. It's not yet, but it'll be later on uh, when they kind of like bring this situation to a head, rather than just constantly jabbing at this button like moonlighting and just making it the only thing about the show uh but this is a good one where he's trying to impress uh, uh wendy and it's a it's a, it's a high concept sci-fi one effectively multiplicity but with a photocopier where dipper <laughs> copies himself and makes sort of paper versions of himself which are masterfully ever so slightly desaturated so you can always yes. tell which one the real dipper is even though they have numbered hats which he numbers uh, as well so it's a it's a nice color touch on their part And the first clone comes out and says, well, you know what name I want to go by. We always wanted to go by Tyrone, a highly masculine name. Yeah. Tyrone. (laughs) Also, the the B plot of this is extremely Mabel because it introduces uh, Grenda, Candy, and Pacifica, who are Mm -hmm. all amazing. Yes. Yes. Oh, I, I adore Grenda and Candy. And Pacifica is one of my favorite sort of antagonists in a show. Um of any sort really yeah. because of, because she genuinely there there's a lot going on there and they make no bones about it even from the beginning even from this first episode no, done. <laughs> yeah thank you even from this first episode you can see what's going you can see that there's more going on for her and that this is a bit of a show mm. that her need to be the best is drawing from something more than just selfishness or a desire for attention there, there's something else going on there and the voice acting the animation really brings that out and her need to be the best manifests as the need to put other people down to elevate herself which is clearly positioned in this episode as a shitty behavior yes yeah i like how mabel is, is clearly aware that pacifica is trying to put her down mm. But she doesn't mope about it. She 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 brushes it off and she moves on. And it would be so easy to write an episode where Mabel is just down in the dumps all the time because Pacific is mean to her. Hmm. But Mabel's like, oh, okay, I guess we're not friends. Uh, I'll be nice anyway. I've got my friends over here. Cool. Bye. Yeah. Hmm. I was just going to say, it seems kind of interesting that the competition is who can have the most fun. That's a competition that nobody really loses, mm. and Mabel realizes that more than Pacifica does. Absolutely, and that uh, that response that she has to Pacifica again is something that shows Mabel's authenticity of character, that she knows who she is, and while people around her can say and do things that will make her feel bad momentarily... She, her her sense of self is strong enough to bounce back from that. She is a very very resilient person, and she's she's really quite comfortable with who she is for the most part. 
she has moments of doubt and moments of exploration, but a largely she's happy with who she is. And she's not worried about what other people think, generally speaking. Uh, do you folks want to uh, describe uh, Grenda and Candy? Uh, um, uh, Mabel's new friends who come along at just the right time, so she has this support group of this is what girls who are uh, uh, you know, decent to each other are like as soon as Pacifica turns up to behave in a shitty fashion. It, it's my read, I'm, I'm guessing I'm not the only one who had this, that, that Grenda is also very clearly a trans woman. Yeah, it's there. There are definitely some reads on there too that it's like a little bit more, um, you know, or maybe maybe a little bit less subtle. But it's also it's it's not implied one way or the other is if she's like trans or not, not in the same way that Dipper is. But she's also not the, like one of the main characters, so it makes sense that you wouldn't have quite the same level of context. Um, I mean, who knows, really? But it's definitely yeah, another, yeah. Uh, another possibility. Yeah, and and again, like, it's, you know, while this is never specifically addressed, it's just, you know, most people just accept her for who she is, and it's also not addressed in that nobody really... Pacifica makes fun of her a little bit, but not... That's really the closest you get to anybody being derogatory about that part of her, whether, whether she is trans or not she does tend to present in a somewhat masculine fashion. She has a fairly deep voice. She's a fairly large person, but she is just who she is, and she's Mabel's friend, and that's all that matters. So the the specific difference, though, is that Dipper exhibits a lot of behavior and comments that denote uh, the kind of like deeper frisson with experience and, and identity. While Grenda is always Grenda, she never wavers in thinking that she is masculine or feminine or that she's pretty or, or anything. I mean, she's, mm-hmm. it's more a description or an example of how sex is not binary and far more uh, bimodal. Because, mm. like, I know plenty of women with deeper voices because of PCOS or because of, like, any variety of other things. There are a hell of a lot of women out there that are stronger than me. I should say cis women specifically. I, I think what it is, and it could just be a lack of context because Grenda's not on the screen as often as Dipper is, but the experience that Grenda puts out is more in line with somebody who has always been that way rather than somebody who had to fight to be that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, and Fair what, enough. She, what she does give, though, and, and this is in the context of the whole group of the girls, and I'm including uh, Mabel and Candy and Pacifica in this as well, is that variety of how people are and behave and different tones of voice and candy has this very high-pitched squeaky voice and um different physical appearance and different interests and ways of interacting with people that none of those differences preclude how close as friends mabel grender and candy become and i love that little group knot of them that they they are this trio who whenever they're referenced throughout the rest of the series, they constantly have each other's backs, and I really, really love that. Yeah, it's a very... It's an unusually positive demonstration of female friendship of teen and preteen girls. Mm. Like, very rarely do you do they capture that in media. 
And as as someone who desperately growing up, desperately, desperately wanted to have those kind of best friends, it resonated a little extra with me. Because I never, I never really had that, you know, those kind of connections. And I craved that so much. Lyra feels the same, by the way. She has oh, yeah? difficulty making friends. Of like, she would love to find someone like Mabel that she can be intensely friends with, and she's more solitary than that. She has friends, definitely, and she's close to them, but they don't come round. I don't see uh, see. Uh, she doesn't go to their houses all that often, so it all happens at school. Mm. And it's, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> okay, it's time for truth, truth or, or, dare or don't. don't. I choose don't. Oh, you always choose don't. Fine. Uh, truth. Do you like someone? Oh, someone's blushing. Okay, maybe just a little. I don't know for sure. It just started. Tell, tell us, tell, tell us. us. Okay, it begins with a D and ends with an Ipper. No. Yes. <gasps> Ready, Grenda? Three, two, one. <gasps> Man, coyotes sound a lot worse than I remember. It's notable that uh, at the end, the, uh, uh, the Dipper again is second-guessing everything because he knows the tropes. And it's like, we're not going to turn on each other because, you know, you're me and I'm you. And we're not going to, like, uh, um, yeah. fight the way that clones and copies of each other always do in all of these things. And in the end, they're like, they're all, all of the uh, clones are like, yeah, no, we totally are. But they lock him in a closet with, uh, and they, they specifically say, there's some snacks in there and a coloring book. So it's like, even though we're going to capture you, we want to just make sure that you're looked after at this point, so that there's no m- malice intended here. It's just that we all want to dance with Wendy. It's just one of these like little notes, little, little, little sort of like, let's make it that they do this and that they say this in this way, so that it never comes off as nasty and shitty, and that the only characters who are nasty and shitty are those who specifically they are trying to show you bad behavior i would counter that a little bit because it seems to me that it's not so much that they all want to dance with wendy Mm -hmm. the problems start with the other clones when dipper decides he's going to not stick to the plan right and when he decides he's going to go off script and actually, you know, just try and wing it, the other clones are like, oh, no, 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 you don't. Like, they, they, they yeah, they genuinely don't get into it over who gets to dance with Wendy. That's never, that's never an issue. Huh. It's just, so you're not going following to be the Dipper plan. number two, then. Yeah. And because <laughs> Dipper's going off... Again, because, like, this whole thing is about, as you say, the script. Like, he in Dipper's wildest fantasy at the beginning, uh, Wendy in a ball gown is dancing with him because he... And he's, like, inordinately tall at this point. His legs, for some reason. Um, only his legs are longer than the rest of him. She's like... And it's also not Wendy's normal voice. So it's like, you know, I love the fact that you planned this whole thing out. That's what women love. Like, really meticulous organizers. <laughs> 
and specifically, and I said this to you when we were watching it, it's not it's not just a, a random, oh yeah, women just don't go for that organised type, because I will say this, some of them do. Mm. I'm not mentioning any names. But Wendy but, in particular. Wendy's not that kind not like of that, person. No. no, she wouldn't respond to somebody who's like hyper-focused on making sure everything's written down. Which reinforces the fact that his kind of idolisation of her isn't exactly the real Wendy, mm. and he's, he's still coming at her from a distance. And he's still observing her from a distance, even though she is actually very welcoming to him in terms of them being friends and 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 very offhand with him. Uh, but yeah, no. At, at the end, as, as you say, the uh, the other clones are like, "Look, we had a plan uh, written out." So, is, is were they going to give it to number two? Were they? Yes. Okay. Yes. Dipper tries to tear it up, and they right. or they take it away from him. And oh no, 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 you don't. But yeah, then so Tyrone uh, gets it. Okay, gotcha, yeah. Tyrone. Then Dipper gets out, and they had to find a way to basically have him dispatch all of these paper clones without it being an act of violence that he's deliberately trying to kill them all. He he turns on the sprinkler system and by mistake, by mistake. And then they don't dwell on this being a terrible thing where it's like, oh, these things had life and they were him and now they had every right to live and now he, you know, through terrible mishap, they're all being robbed of existence. And in fact, um, uh, Paper Jam Dipper, who, uh, uh, again, uh, Lyra, I think, loved most of all, um, has... (laughs) And that's where you come in, number three. But what if Robbie catches me? I'll be all alone. Okay, one more, one more clone. Four dippers. This is a four dipper plan. Uh oh, paper jam. Come on, you're not gonna make me partner up with him, are you? Hey, shh, don't be rude. Hey, buddy, hey, it's okay. Okay, just one more clone. Uh, like, specifically, just says, you know, it's probably be- for the best. Uh, but. <laughs> But yeah, no, they deliberately like when they were um, when they're killing the the Sherlock Holmes uh, made of wax uh, with a, a careful trap. Like he doesn't just die in a kind of oh, I'm you know like I, like the pain of existence leaving his form. It's he makes a comment about the fact that Dipper sneezes like a kitten and that being adorable, just to soften that blow, just to make sure that it wasn't, yeah. it didn't feel too it's bad for the kids, same. and you're not dwelling on something that's just a little bit too much. There's, they, there's always a slightly heightened reality about, about this, and and it it encourages you not to look at everything in a painfully literal fashion. Mm-hmm. I also yeah. felt a little bit like the, all of these. Uh, copies of Dipper again feel a bit like facets of him that he's externalized and manifested, and by melting them, he potentially gets to reabsorb them all. Hmm. Yeah, they're they're his overthinking made physically manifest. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he even numbers yeah. them. Oh my god! Of course, they're, they yeah. themselves are made of paper. Yeah. They are his numbered they are list. His list. Oh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good lord. Okay. Unrelated, this is also the second episode where somebody melts on the roof. Yeah. At the end. Probably not the last where something melts. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Ah, boy. It's Pioneer Day. Every year these yahoos dress up like idiots to celebrate the day Gravity Falls was founded. Welcome to 1863! I will break you, little man! Gold panning! I now pronounce you man and wife. I do! That's a guy who marries a woodpecker. <laughs> 
Right, eight is irrational treasure, obviously uh, referencing national treasure, although it feels a bit Da Vinci Code as well. And this, uh, by uh, Alex Hirsch's own um, uh, admission in the commentary, said he was uh, writing a uh, a story about uh, a lunatic Teddy Roosevelt who did eccentric things and was very silly, and wouldn't it be funny if we had a a crazed, eccentric, um, mad president? And, uh, you know, again, by his own admission in 2018, it's not funny! And yeah, yeah, but still, uh, the, this guy Trembley, better president. Yeah, he he accomplished at least a couple of things that were worth it. Yeah, uh, so yeah, the the premise of this one's going to be confusing for people uh, who haven't watched the episode. Uh, it's going into it. Okay, right. It's very similar to Lisa the Iconoclist in the uh, that classic episode of The Simpsons where she goes into Jebediah Springfield and finds out he was a murderous pirate. In this case, it's that uh, one of the f- uh, the attributed founders of Gravity Falls was oh, um, Nathaniel Northwest, an ancestor of Pacifica and her rich family, mm-hmm. who pride themselves very much on their town founder name. And at the very beginning, Pacifica teases... Mabel for being silly all the time and for a while when they were developing the script it was that she called her stupid but um, they decided after a while it's like it's, it's not about intelligence and that um, D- uh, that Mabel is just as intelligent as Dipper if not more so and this kind of plays in with what you've been talking about on the podcast about different types of intelligence and emotional intelligence being Mabel's forte over uh, Dipper's um, what would it be? More, um, uh, problem solving intelligence, logical or? intelligence, or yeah. the, the, there's a specific, yeah, the one that we tend to measure with IQ tests. Yeah, and our right brain society, yeah. right brain, left brain, left brain society has a tendency to vaunt above all yeah. other kinds of intelligence. So it's not that Mabel is teased for being stupid, but she's very silly and and, and childish and and fun, and the whole point of Mabel as a character is that when she sees someone who's being ridiculously self-serious, she will try to um, see if she can get them to loosen up a little bit. Also, she's very um, she's very impulsive. If she something occurs to her that might be fun, she'll give it a go. She doesn't do the whole oh, no, I can't possibly do that because mm. people yeah. will think badly of me. Yeah, She does it before she even really consciously is aware of it. Mm. Yeah. And that that that's some that that's something that comes into play so much in this episode, where, as as Dipper eventually does point out, her silliness is what solved all of the puzzles. Yeah, and she did it when she was trying consciously to not be silly, and she can't help it. Yeah. She takes off her sweater uh, in this to uh, just be wearing a, a t-shirt underneath, and she seems like ill-equipped like that's that that her collection of colorful sweaters with fun designs on them is very much her uh and again that was something that uh, um alex uh, remembered about ariel when she was younger that like these these crazy sweaters and um it, it felt like, like just watching someone who's fun a tigger go to someone who's like oh I, 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 okay, I guess I'll be serious then. It feels unnatural and it feels like forcing lightness out of the world. So automatically at the beginning you're, you're presented with something like, for a start, a lie that nobody that um, loves the show would subscribe to, which is that Mabel is just too silly and uh, just needs to be like super serious because then you don't have a balanced show. Mm, indeed. And it's, it's taking us back to that idea of pigeonholes again because if somebody is 
impulsive and jumps on things that they think are fun. And if they do have 10 things occur to them all at once and mm. decide, you know what, I, I just have to do them all, then there's so many paths that, that the person and the group gets to go down that they wouldn't have done otherwise. If, if everyone's saying, nope, you have to pick one path, and it has to be this mm. path, and you have to stick to it. Mm. And we already know by this point in the show that that Mabel, you know, she is also, she can be silly, but that is, she is way more than that. She's multifaceted. She, yeah. she's a, She can be a very thoughtful person. She, she very much does care about the people around her. She cares about Dipper. She cares very much about Uncle Stan. And she and remembers she, things as well. She she doesn't yeah. just like care in that superficial way where you know you're like I want you to cheer up because I don't want anyone around me being sad, which is a, a weirdly aggressive form of being cheery. Um, she she's genuinely um, feels bad if other people feel down, which is empathy. Yeah, she wants she wants people to be happy, not not for her. But she wants them to be happy for them. Yeah. And uh, th- this, uh, in their digging uh, through uh, finding out about the uh, town founder, they uh, discover the eighth and a half president of the United States. Um, what's his first name? Tremblay uh, is, is his second name. But Quentin Tremblay. Quentin Tremblay, yeah. Quentin Tremblay, uh, who uh, ruled for a short while, and, and then they covered it up. And uh, It was during the William Henry Harrison being in a coma period. Yeah. Well, to be fair, they also find out that the forever president is Santa Claus, and that it's not a democracy, but a jollyocracy. <laughs> <laughs> The sheer strangeness of the the cover-up documents is amazing. Mm. Like, one saying that Ben Franklin was secretly a woman, which, I mean, hello, also Obviously. trans team, see the last hour. Um, but also, uh, what was it? Lincoln's hat was covering his third hand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then uh, that Thomas Jefferson was two kids, on one on each, the other one's shoulder with an overcoat. Uh, that Mount Rushmore is a giant president-shaped robot. That, uh, that there's an enormous, evil, time-devouring baby from another dimension frozen in an Antarctic glacier. Put a pin in that one. Which comes back in the next episode. <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. My favorite one, though, if you, it's a blink and you miss it. It just says, writing jokes for cartoons is more important than sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Personally, I think that um, Quentin Tremblay's highest uh, highest accomplishment was the depansification proclamation. Mm. Because pants are about restrictions, which goes against Americans' concept of freedom. Absolutely. <laughs> As somebody who has thrown off the yoke of pants in their life, I wholeheartedly <laughs> agree. Yeah, I- I'm, cur- I- I'm currently uh, planning to make a uh, my own utilicilt so I can wear fewer pants. <laughs> You shouldn't have to make it. They should be available in every store. I remember them when I was in uh, PAX in 2009. I was like, a lot of utilicilts. I've never seen these before. Yeah. And I was searching around for them just to, to see if I, could, if I could get one. But uh, well, I, I, can or- I can order them, but uh, I want mine to be like exactly the, to my specifications. Bespoke. Heck, I have two that I don't wear anymore because I can wear skirts any day I want, baby. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Okay. The jealousy, it is going over the airwaves. <laughs> oh, uh, the yeah. early Illuminati stuff. Mm. Yeah, that's oh, just yeah. to do with, like, there's repeated shots, <clears throat> I think, in the um, 
when they're doing their research of a triangle with the eye, and there's actually a lot of shots of a triangle with an eye, which is obviously from the uh, uh, the, the dollar bill and ties in with a lot of Illuminati stuff, which a lot of people have credited them with a major character being seeded incredibly early and all over the place when the truth is that it's just that they put a lot of Illuminati stuff in there and then followed up on that. Since this is your favourite character, maybe. I know, I, I, but, but I don't want to burn any cast, mm-hmm. so I don't want to talk about him yet. Okay. Um, but I, I do want to make sure that we mention that the other important outcome for this episode mm-hmm. is that Mabel becomes a congressman. Oh, yes, yeah. and again, better government. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, Dipper gets given the presidential key, which can open any lock, and I love that as a concept, and I want that as because they didn't follow up on it. I feel like I can put that in New Century. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. Well, I think it's weird. It's like the one drop thread in the entirety of this show. Yeah, it's even dropped really in the space of the episode because you know when they're trapped in the box yeah. and they're kind of desperately fishing around and working out that the key's not going to work because there's no keyhole, mm. and then they find a knot hole, and I thought key goes into knot hole, knot hole opens door, but that didn't happen. Yeah, somebody I- has been playing a lot of LucasArts adventure games, haven't they? <laughs> And they, uh, yeah, they, they're definitely in locked places and secret places and places with doors in later episodes. And I'm like, the key, the key. No, still not. Ah, oh, they're saving it. And then I forgot about it. Yeah. There's a specific point at the very end mm-hmm. where the, I'm watching it the second time. I'm like, but but use your key. You have the key. But the key. Yeah. This is somebody, what happens when you write your jokes at two in the morning. Somebody lost yeah. a substantial amount of breakfast money on a, a bet <laughs> regarding that key being, you know, turning up at some later date, and it never did. Yeah. Well, well, and here's here's my theory on this. Which, yes, I think I'm sure it was just a drop thread, but it seems like something that Dipper would be like. I don't want to lose this. Mm. This is this is worth a lot. This this is special. I need to keep it somewhere safe. And he kept it somewhere safe that he forgot where it was. That's so much of an even better plot to to call back. It's like, oh, my God, we're trapped in here. Dipper, use your president's key. And Dipper's like, the president's key that I didn't want to lose? And then you flash back to their bedroom and, like, a woodpecker next to the key. Yes. Another another thing that I think really works about this episode is, again, we start to see that uh, turn with Sheriff Blubbs and Deputy Derlin Mm -hmm. where they're still antagonists. But they're not cruel the way that they were in their first appearance. Yeah, they they're, yeah, yeah, they're doing their job. They think that it's important, and it is. And in the end, they get to go on vacation together. Yeah. yeah. Which I, feels to me like a reference to the end of Sneakers. Mabel, do you ever wish you could go back and undo just one mistake? Nope. I do everything right all the time. <laughs> I mean, Wendy only went out with Robbie because he was there with the ice, and she only needed ice because of the baseball, and I would have had the ice if it wasn't for... (gasps) That guy! Hey, you! Tool belt! You ruined my life! Huh? Don't hand me. I've seen you before. What's your deal? Are you following us around? And why are you bald? What's that all about? Huh? My position has been compromised! Are you from the future or something? Huh? No! Who who told you that? Memory wipe! This is a baby wipe. All right, you've cornered me. I'm a time traveler. So wait a minute, if you're from the future, do you have like a time machine or something? That's kind of how it works. Could I borrow it? 
Number nine, the time traveller's pig. Waddles! Mm, this is a reference quality episode. Like, as in, if you were going to show someone one episode of Gravity Falls, if they don't like the time traveller's pig, they probably won't like Gravity Falls. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, it gives all of the characters an opportunity to have several aspects to what's going on. You get a little bit, you get more than one aspect of Stan. You especially get more than one aspect of Mabel. And even Dipper, you know, he goes, he gets to have an emotional range that doesn't always happen in every episode. So it's a good way to get a sampler of all of these characters. And and you get, you know, it it does... Unlike many shows that do time travel, the characters, you know, everything resets at the end of the episode. And Dipper actually does learn something from this. And not to say that he doesn't, you know, try dumb things and overthink too much. But he does, it does affect him later. And you, he's changed as a character and that remains consistent as the show goes on. He's like, he's like, okay, the messing with things that, that didn't work, that had consequences. Okay, okay, okay. You you gotta live life as you live it. And what happens happens, and sometimes things turn out good, but not in the way you expected them to. I also personally just like that this episode not only calls back to previous episodes, wherein you can see the time traveler in the background doing the things that he yeah. does in this episode there are also references forward because he's already been there too and it's just great (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. makes for more little tiny easter eggs and quite frankly i like brandon blendon he is just uncertain enough about trying to be a hard-ass time cop that it comes across as endearing to me yeah clearly he wants to be a hard-ass time cop Mm. but He's not quite sure if that's really him, and he's not quite sure that he can do the things that he needs to in order to be that. So instead, he just sort of tries to protect the timeline. Hmm. And he's like not you do. he's not particularly fantastic at it. I I, I love his uh, kind of. Um, <clears throat> Uh, his his turns of phrase, which obviously we will be using in the future, uh, so like just basically throwing the word time into things for uh-huh. uh, seemingly for no reason. So when he falls over, ow, my time knee, and he that's actually yeah. in a later episode. I think that's his return. And then he also uh, adds, oh, time, dang it, at one point, which uh, reminded me of that episode of uh, Community where uh, the dean said, what that this hoodie were a time hoodie? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what they say, don't do the time crime if you can't pay the time time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We also get uh, a brief appearance from Lolf and Dundgren, two characters based on Dolph Lundgren in Universal Soldier. Only it's not a uh, psychopathic dead soldier collecting ears. It's uh, it's it's these kind of Green Lanternish time police who actually kind of remind me of um, uh, like Thomas Jane and Clifton Collins Jr. in Scott Pilgrim, who arrest Brandon Routh for crimes oh, against yeah, the veganism. Vegan that's the one vegan police also to mention in that episode the the joke the lovely joke of 
of Stan, the, when they, they show right at the beginning, when Stan has fixed the dunk tank. And so he says something to the effect of, oh, the only way this could be dislodged is with a... Some sort of futuristic laser thingy. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah. So the, the, the Zeus is a brilliant. Is brilliant. Zeus is so brilliant. Yeah, we've got to talk about Zeus because we've gone the whole podcast in ten episodes. I mean, obviously yeah. Zeus has got some great episodes uh, about him yeah. coming up. But uh, it's I was going to bring him up in Pipe Fighters. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so Zeus is the uh, t- uh, is he teenage? He's like the older boy who. Uh, Very were, late teens, early twenties. Yeah, put who's got kind of a man-child sensibility, and uh, he is the he works for uh, Stan, and um, he's just incredibly supportive of of Dipper and Mabel, and uh, you know he's he's got that kind of like he seems like a, a really simple guy, but he also comes up with like he's exactly on the money repeatedly. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and can like sort of put his finger on exactly what needs to be done, and sometimes he's also you know a, a buffoon, but he's never. It's again, it's never really done in a spiteful way. He's he's also very caring about the people that uh, that he's close to, much like Mabel. They they never stint on the fact that this closeness among these characters is the most valuable thing. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that, that one of the elements of Seuss that I love the most is how totally reliable he is in a town where everything is upside down and backwards and you don't know Mm. what is is coming next and Stan who is supposed to be their guardian Mm. is in it up to his hairy neck and Um, lies all the time about absolutely everything absolutely Seuss is he, he has their back all the time. You, if you need a tool to do a job, mm. Seuss has the tool. If you need He's somebody a, to stick yeah. up for you, Seuss is there. He is just this constant. Mm. He's a handyman with uh, uh, no artifice about mm. him. Yeah. Well. Also, the Seuss uh, is uh, short for Jesus, which, uh, along with Candy uh, being Asian, is just a little more inclusivity here. So it's not just a bunch of white people running around the place. Yeah, you do eventually meet his grandmother, who is Abuelita. unendingly yeah. hilarious. <laughs> That's an amazing rhyme. When you want some good, when, when you need a Seuss, you, uh, oh, oh gosh, I don't know. Doesn't have any gun swords. I watch a lot of anime and <laughs> trust me, you're going to want some gun swords. All right, Seuss, you can do this. Just use your mouth to say words that makes romance happen. Your face is good. I'm a Seuss. I'm not scared of your eyes at all. I'm going to look at them. Eye contact. And in this episode, The Time Traveler's Pig, uh, Mabel meets what is going to become her pet. And a pet that she cares really deeply and dearly about, Waddles. And... You know, when you just watch it for the first time, it's like, okay, I I get that she really, really loves this pig, but there's this bond, obviously, between them immediately. And um, because of the, uh, you know, changes to the timeline after um, Dipper wants to reverse, I want to say coconut shy, like a a ball toss game where he beans Wendy right in the eye with a baseball. He wants to change things because otherwise she's going to go off with Robbie. And they end up in conflict because... If he doesn't bean Wendy in the face, then Pacifica ends up winning Waddles. He is such a jerk. Yeah, but he's a jerk with tight pants and a guitar. I need to keep him away from Wendy at all costs. Don't worry, brother. Whatever happens, I'll be right here, supporting you every step of the... Oh my gosh, a pig! 
If you can guess the critter's weight, you can take the critter home. <gasps> he said Mabel. Either that or Doorbell. Did you say Mabel or Doorbell? <laughs> oh, look. Mabel here found her real twin. <laughs> Pacifica. Sir, I must have that pig. Ah, oh, 15 poundy. So, how much you guess anyways? Um, 15 pounds? Are you some kind of witch? Well, here's your pig. It's, I mean, with so many episodes are actually about Dipper growing a little bit older and having to actually kind of like make a little, uh, a few more allowances for, for other people. And, and just sort of like that, that, that coming out of childhood is about um, more of an overview of, of, of what will make people happier and sort of weighing up your own happiness against other people's and, and deciding what can be sacrificed. And in this, we actually get to see that if he just holds on to this timeline and just keeps moving through it, Mabel ends up falling into a deep, pigless depression and beating her head against a totem pole for weeks on end. It, it's, it's about Dipper just deciding... I'm just going to have to let this one go. I'm just going to have to let be seen as, a, as an idiot who gave Wendy a black eye and then let her go, and then let Robbie take over so that Mabel can be happy with her pig. Yeah, and that's Robbie is, uh, actually asks Wendy out in that episode and she agrees to go out with him. Mm-hmm. Because he was there with a the snow cone at exactly the right time. Mm. Yeah. And again, all the times that Dipper overthinks this and sort of tries to to rework um, the, the way things are going to push Wend out of the way of this ball or to um, move himself into another way or to throw the ball in a different way, it keeps smacking her in the face over and over again. It is basically a constant in the timeline. And to change that constant has uh, it requires a sacrifice. And it's, it's, it's a nice... It's got kind of like a. Um, like actually, if we did, if we had Jesse on, Jesse could talk about the actual time travel um, mechanics. mechanics at work <laughs> yeah. here because it's um, it's it's not Bill and Ted. Neither is it Back to the Future or uh, Azkaban. Yeah, and it's not quite an everything that can happen already has happened either because it's a Doctor Who. There are fixed mo- there are fixed points in time, oh, right. but That's other things so, can yeah. be changed. Yeah, damn it, you beat me to it. Ah. I'm sorry, <laughs> sorry, uh, uh, Thea, would you like to say it and sound really inspired? <laughs> all I can hear is the Doctor saying it's a fixed point in history. I'm so sorry. Yeah. All right. Well, and it it does bring in, it always reminds me when I see this episode, I think of the fact that, and I don't remember which episode this is in, but it might have even been the first one, but Mabel asks Wendy for advice about, uh, basically, boy advice, Mm. basically, and uh, have you ever fallen in love, or some, some words to that effect, and Wendy starts listing off, you know, she gets to I don't know what six or ten different yeah guys all the guys dated. that she's yeah. Always, yeah and I'm like and and I'm like you know that's another reason Dipper is you know this is he's making this into something way more than it is because to Wendy none of this is really oh yeah that okay I'm dating that guy sure whatever yeah she she forgot to break up with the last one yeah mm-hmm. and she's like oh so that's why he's calling me yeah. 
But to Dipper, it's everything because he's like, you know, super built it up in his head as this like big romantic thing. And, and that he just has to do it and do it right. And then he can make it happen for himself. And it is actually something that, uh, that affects young guys who believe that there is a way you can do it and do it right, almost a code that you can crack in order to accomplish this goal, rather than just getting to know her and being friends. And eventually, like, we'll we'll get to it later, but uh, it's it's something that Dipper has to get past, and this is a key moment. Another thing that about this episode that I just really enjoy is the concept of the tape measure as the time machine. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those tape measures that you pull out and then automatically retracts and you just pull it to however far you want to go. Presumably there's something that uh, determines forward or backward and mm-hmm. then let it go and that's your time trout. It was just a cool little idea. And that there are so many cool little ideas in this show, but that one stands out for me for more than a lot of others and in in practice that would be an incredibly imprecise method of time travel <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. which is again why you shouldn't take absolutely everything in this show entirely literally Indeed. a lot of it's symbolic a lot of it is just you know uh, this is a lesson a character needs to learn and, and we'll all have some fun along the way like comedies uh, I, I like that there are two characters that we get to see in brief cameos that we won't see for another 20 episodes, but other than that... Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think Alex Hirsch handed one frame of this to uh, the voice of uh, Dipper, um, Jason Ritter, who, uh, from the sounds of him, is basically Dipper, but grown up in real life. <laughs> um, and uh, said, within this frame, within this frame, is the secret to Gravity Falls. And Jason was staring and staring and staring at it, trying to make out what was in the background. It's right there! And you all know what I'm talking about. It's that bit from the flashback in the 70s. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it, it was neat, and that was the plan for a long, long time. So it, that was not something that they re- uh, retconned and decided to work into the plot. That was something that they'd planned from uh, from Jump Street. There's also the thinly veiled subtext that you cannot prepare a code that will score you a woman if you just get it exactly right, and Dipper needs to learn that. So. Yes, Man, I wonder what it'd be like to go inside a video game for real. I should have thought of this years ago. Stupid Robbie, such a jerk. A winner never runs away from a fight. I wish one of these guys could fight Robbie for me. Huh? To unleash ultimate power? I do like things that are ultimate. Back, back, hold, forward, back, forward, down, hold, quarter circle, forward, triple punch. Select your character! Uh, Rumble McSkirmish? Greetings, child boy! I am Rumble McSkirmish from the USA! Ow! Change machine! Change me into a powerful wolf! With Rumble around, Robbie will be so scared I won't even need to fight him. I've got the world's greatest fighter to be my bodyguard. This is so amazing. I gotta show Seuss. Seuss? Help! I'm trapped in the game. 
It was cool in theory, but in practice it was really boring. Fight Fighters. And this, again, is reference quality because it's one of the funniest episodes if you have these frames of reference all in your head. So if you're going to show this to, say, a 40-year-old man, you're going to get them on board, I think, with Fight Fighters. Yeah. If, 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 you, if, you, if you grew up playing these games, specifically Street Fighter 2 Turbo... Hyperfighting. ...in the arcade, then everything about this episode is hilarious. Yeah. And on point. Dipper makes friends with a disembodied Ryu type who gets uh, called Rumble McSkirmish, who uh, he pulls out of, using a special joystick combination, he pulls out of the uh, uh, arcade game. And he tries to get this CPS system pugilist to beat up Robbie. And then uh, hijinks ensue when uh, um, Rumbles decides he's, he's going to basically beat Robbie practically to death. They don't say practically to death, but he's certainly going to mess him up. The beauty of this episode is the detail on McSkirmish himself. There's an animation cycle he goes through where, if you, if you remember, not even in Street Fighter 2 so much, but if you've ever played Street Fighter 3, there is a series of fluid fight motions of just the idle characters as they bob back and forth. Just like sort of like... Um, like dance in your seat, as, as, as I'm uh, saying this, folks. Uh, you know, just like... Weaving around the place, just bobbing back and forth, you know, just getting ready to do the fight fighting. And Rumble is doing that the whole time. There's a point where uh, Dipper says, stay still, my uncle's home. And he's still doing the cycle, going, this is as still as I can get. And they have so much fun with (laughs) the limitations of what someone like that in a 3D world would be, or rather wouldn't be capable of. It's in fact his undoing at the end. Whenever he's walking down the street, they always do the beat up stuff where you can pick up random things. Like, he rips a stop sign out of the street to use it as a club. When he reaches the end of a frame, a, a arrow flashes to tell him which direction to go in. He just eats uh, chicken. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, he, yeah, he eats a floor taco. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, what am I? On the floor, in front of me. Mm. Yeah. Oh. My my favorite joke, and I just noticed it in this one because there's like three jokes involved in it, is after he runs off on his own, Dipper finds him, and the store that he finds him at is Barrels and Crates. <laughs> <laughs> and not only the crate and barrel thing, but also the fact that that's where he would find all of the power-ups that he would need, mm. and then it turns into a Donkey Kong parody. Yeah. And, oh, it is so... It, there's so many jokes in that one bit. It's great. It quite puts pixels to shame. Reality puts pixels to shame. Yeah. Everything puts pixels to shame. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's a, a, my fa- favorite reference. Again, it's anything to do with dated references on purpose. He, he, uh, when he comes out of this 1992 arcade game, he's like, I'm going to fight your f- greatest fighters. Take me to the Soviet Union. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like when they do the thing where this is more of a a sort of a a frame thing in the animation, but they zoom in on his face and the background is moving behind him as he tells his deep story. The framing of him, he's he's, uh, like, it's like... Uh, not even the cutscenes, but the story bits of a Street Fighter game when there's sort of there's like a few frames of animation as their f- hair or indeed bandana is fluttering in the wind while they've got their eyes shut and they're talking. It's he's like he's talking. We wouldn't ever have been able to hear the voice. It would just be two coloured text on screen, yes. you know, telling you a very simple story of how his master was slain. Um, 
And but the thing about Rumble is he has one tone all the time. He is like you know his programming is that simple. It in a you know I don't think it's really the, the, what they were intending, but it kind of does put in perspective how like if this was the only input you had to, you know, what a, a macho masculine man was, is just judging by Street Fighter, it would just have been, we're going to go there and fight over and over again. And like, if you just had a steady intake of that kind of video game. And that really puts how Dipper challenges him and defeats him in the end in perspective. Mm-hmm. He, because he chooses, no, I've got other facets, I'm going to do something completely different. Yeah. Nice. He also, um, you know, embraces the Luke Jedi uh, uh, method of just being passive. The B-plot on this one is another one that is just absolutely killer, mm-hmm. where Seuss says, Seuss wonders what it would be like to be inside a video game. So he just opens up the cabinet to Norse, <laughs> which is, of course, Tron backwards and climbs into the cabinet and gets stuck. And that's incredibly dangerous, folks, because the uh, monitors in those things retain their electrical charge over years in a static electricity buildup. And if you remove a monitor of an arcade game in the wrong way, all that stored up electricity can be unleashed right through your body and it can straight up kill you. I Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. Uh, it's, oh my. it's dangerous. It's so much time in arcades when I was a kid that really <laughs> puts things into perspective. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> you uh, were always it... a couple of inches away from death. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, uh, as as the years went on, it got more and more deadly. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, Wreck-It Ralph 3 sorted, by the way. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it's it's one of the uh, the funniest, but uh, the it's kind of a backslide for Dipper because after the time traveler's pig, where he's kind of relinquished Wendy uh, a little bit, like it's this, like he's relinquished his desperation to uh, to to kind of claim Wendy for his own and sort of push Robbie aside. They're back at loggerheads with each other, uh, and it's uh, there's a, a little shade of uh, three. You ever see a film called uh, Three O'clock High? No, no, no. It's basically high noon in a a high school. I only ever saw it once, so I don't know if it's any good uh, anymore. But like this bully says to a nerdy kid, you know, I am going to beat the crap out of you at three o'clock as soon as we get out of school. And then just like in high noon, he's trying to find allies who can, you know, people who can hide him, people who can support him. And it is just this slowly ticking clock towards this impending doom. I got to see this film again, because like that's a that's a good premise for a movie where it's like trying to avoid this this, you know, impending fate. But this it does kind of throw shade on Robbie himself, because. And this was uh, what uh, Alex Hirsch was talking about in the um, in the commentary. Robbie is so petty that he's actually threatened by Dipper. And, like, Dipper doesn't realise how oddly intimidating he is to Robbie because Robbie doesn't have much going for him. Like, he, like to, to Dipper, he's, like, older and, you know... Uh, it, 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 he has the tight pants. Yeah, he's got the tight pants. He, he, yeah. he, he, he's the right age and um, specifically not just older but the right age for Wendy and has seemingly been around the block more even though he hasn't and you know he's he's grown up in this small town and dipper by in comparison is a bit more worldly and comes along being all you know smart ass 
And, like, Robbie being 15 is actually intimidated by him. So he tries to assert himself in a really kind of pathetic and overly aggressive way. And I kind of feel a little bit sorry for Robbie in this. You know how much uh, uh, energy Dipper takes off of Rumble after he does a dragon punch on him? (laughs) It's like (laughs) 0.5%. I feel that much sorry for Robbie. Robbie. There is this this, uh, interesting shot where they are talking to each other and they stood either side of a kind of break in the fence and on Dipper's side of the fence there is I don't think you ever see it all in the same frame but as the camera cuts back and forth you get the the layout of it Hmm. but on Dipper's side of this gap in the fence there is a, a a little smiley face and it says peace in yellow and on Robbie's side of the fence there is a muffin shaped graffiti explosion which it is almost certain that Robbie himself drew. <laughs> Debbie, you had a thing to say about Fight Fighters. Uh, yeah, well, specifically about Wendy and Robbie, and it's the fact that also every time we see Wendy and Robbie together, we never, they seem very much being almost performative as a couple. Mm. And whereas there is very much relaxed chemistry between uh, Wendy and Dipper. Yeah. And I, I, I wonder if Robbie's a little jealous of that, even though it's clear Wendy does not have romantic feelings for, for Dipper, mm. but they are friends. And I think Robbie does not know how to be friends with a girl. He's a little jealous of that. Anyway, sorry, go ahead, Sherry. The fact that he has no idea how to approach and connect with Wendy until the baseball in the eye gives him an opening with the snow cone. Mm. Um, He doesn't know how to talk to her and just hang out with her, which is the the edge that Dipper has on him. And they clearly don't laugh together Mm. the way that Dipper and Wendy do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, Robbie seems very awkward around most people. Mm. He's not a happy guy either. Mm. So, yeah. I, like I say, 0.5% sympathy there. Yeah, he's he's generally speaking, he's just a kid. Mm. He's not, he's, he, he does some dumb stuff, but he's not really a bad person generally. Mm. He's just a dumb kid, basically. I just wish he, he wasn't voiced by T.J. Miller. Uh, well, yeah. 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 It's true. Mm. That is that is true. <laughs> Welcome to a world of mystery. Stan Pines. The tax collector. You found me. <laughs> I'm from the Winning House Coupon Savers Contest. And you are our big winner. <laughs> My one and only dream, which was to possess money, has come true. We're rich. I'm going to get a butler. I'm going to buy a talking horse. Just sign here for the money. You bet. Ha! Stanford, you fool. You just signed over the mystery shack to little old me. Uh, you might want to take another look there. The shack is hereby signed over to... Suck a lemon, little man. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) I am not a threat to be taken lightly. Come here, hon. I need your arms. I'll get you, Stanford Pines. I'll get you all! Want to see what else is on TV? Yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. My favorite part's the theme song. 
Little Dipper is the one where um, uh, Mason is uh, worried about feeling slightly shorter than Mabel because Mabel has seemingly uh, uh, gone through a growth spurt and, and, and everyone keeps teasing him. Well, one thing that um, I found particularly fun about the episode is that it's very clear that Mabel takes this less seriously than Dipper. Mm. Like, she really does not care that she is a millimeter taller than him. But it's almost like she and Seuss are hoping that he'll join in somehow. Mm. And he just doesn't know how to. Mm. Well, it's, I is think she... it's the fact that she doesn't, it doesn't affect her that much until she finds out how much it bothers him. Yeah, and then clearly she's the Alpha Twin. Yes. <laughs> but that that's the thing, you know, the Alpha Twin apparently is the one who cares less about this stuff. It's appropriate that we have Luna here, actually, because remember when we talked about CrossFit Shrek and the amount of gags in there at the expense of Lord Farquaad, several of which are actually literally wholesale lifted here for the there are those who think little of him. What's what's the difference here uh, between uh, them just doing that over and over again at Dipper? So to me, the, the real big difference is the fact that the ones in Shrek are done very deliberately as derogatory marks towards a villain, sure, but Farquaad's not exactly um, multi-dimensional. Mm-hmm. Well, we know Dipper, we know Mabel, we know these characters a lot more closely, and Dipper's one of the main characters, so seeing his struggle with that, uh, those derogatory marks, like, we know there's more going on there than just plain meanness, and uh, so... Last episode, make sure you listen to that because I go into this an awful lot. But here we see another really good example of Dipper possibly being a trans man because height dysphoria is a really common thing in the trans man community because most trans men tend to be on the shorter side of the male height differential. So uh, a person's height can be really used against them uh, a lot, and they would be really sensitive about it. Many trans men I know, I should say, are sensitive about their height. So it's very relevant in that perspective. But we see Dipper get more and more angry as Mabel keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. And we find out in the end why Mabel does that, because it's not just her being mean, it's her wanting to get some of that power back in their relationship while Dipper's not even realizing that that power differential even exists. I was a kid. I grew up, I grew up very isolated. I think I've mentioned this before. So I, I did not grow up with a lot of people my own age. And so I did not handle teasing well. And the teasing that they're doing, while it's well-meaning, like, I felt a little bit, I felt for Dipper there, because it feels like you don't know how to handle it. And it, like, you're, you don't have any emotional defenses built up, kind of. So it's, like, you're almost kind of exposed, at least emotionally. So it's, I, I felt for him there, kind of like, yeah, that sucks, that's... It, it's a shitty place to be, even if you know that, you know, that the people teasing you, you know, do love you and do care about you and they're not, you know, they're not intentionally being mean. It doesn't always, even so, that isn't necessarily the emotional reality. Mm. I think one of the elements of the, the dynamic that plays out in this episode that I really appreciated was that 
discrepancy between how you or how somebody perceives themselves and often especially if they have a particularly strident inner critic they will see the worst parts of themselves or what they perceive to be the, the worst parts of themselves so any little flaw will become magnified and that's the the element of themselves that they may concentrate on but seeing Dipper through the lens of Mabel's perception, which is kind of, I suppose, symbolised by this flip of the lens of the blue and pink uh, flashlight, is what eventually allows him to see some better qualities in himself that Mabel sees and, in fact, envies. <clears throat> The fact that Seuss is there going, hey, dudes, this ain't, uh, this ain't cool, because uh, you seem to be, like, hurting him a little bit there. Uh, like, Seuss is effectively the voice of the episode going, yeah, they're, they're ragging on Dipper, but it's... You know when there's a little animation thing they do where if a character's uncomfortable, they will either lean their arm across to scratch their other arm. Like, it's crossing the front of their body, and it's a really Protective. nice little, like, you know, I'm not entirely cool with this and that is a signifier that they get that you watching should be empathizing with them they also scratch the back of their neck sometimes mm. in a kind of a, eh, i'm not sure about this it's a really nice especially for tweens who are going through uh, time periods of uh, uh, and, and and physical periods and emotional periods of just not really being comfortable even in their own skin at the best of times mm, hormones slip sliding all over the place yeah. So it's it's nice that the, uh, the 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 episode is kind of on his side and and like being mean spirited dicks does not win out in the end. Yeah, there there there's a certain point at which again they sort of back off just a little bit, but not. But at that point, the damage is already done. Mm. So Dipper is out there trying to solve a problem that is not a problem, which is very on brand for Dipper. <laughs> He spends a lot of his time solving non-problems. <laughs> but they're problems to him, and that's the important bit there. Also in this episode, we uh, briefly see Gideon's mother. I don't know whether we saw her earlier in that first episode where he was introduced, but it's she's like standing rigidly in the kitchen with this sort of uh, you know trance-like state, vacuuming a completely clean floor, just like, cannot stop doing this. And then later on, um, like some mess happens, and she's freaking out because she's worried you said that um it's because she's afraid of the father and uh gideon um, but i said no just gideon yeah you, he's yeah. the tyrant who yeah. terrifies both his parents no i can understand that but i think it's it was more just there's a, a shot where she sat at one end of the sofa and um gideon is in a chair and his father is at the other end of the sofa mm-hmm. and it very much frames her as being separate to them the two of them are sitting quite close together and it seems like Uh, Gideon's father is much more in his confidence and on his side, whereas his mother is just this thing that is under his control in his perception. It very much upends the traditional view of child abuse in the sense that usually it is father abuser, mother supporting the abuser, and then child is the victim. In this case, the child is the abuser, the father is supporting the abuser, and the mother is very clearly the victim here. Mm. Things get way more disturbing later like when you find out just exactly what the like the relationship between Gideon and his parents and the way he 
the way he treats them, and it's it's terrifying, yeah. frankly. This is a fun show, but there is some darkness to be found here, most definitely. Yeah. Yeah, Bill Cipher gets a lot of credit for being a very terrifying villain, but I think that as a result, he sort of overshadows the pure horror that is Lil Gideon. Mm. Well, there's, I suppose, a bit of a uh, an element of Pennywise and Derry there that Bill may be terrifying, but he can only work with what's there. Oh, God, Bill is a bit Pennywise, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. There is very much of Eldritch Horror going on with Bill, for sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, the, uh, the the concept of this episode is that they uh, get shrunk, and it's a, uh, it's kind of a honey we shrunk ourselves uh, type situation. Hijinks ensue. The, the the end point is that Dipper realizes that Mabel teasing him is an uh, I suppose overreaching of a little victory that she's feeling because as they as she goes back through her list of things that Dipper has won, it's she loses every time. And it, it's kind of a a little wake up call to uh, to Dipper that he's more accomplished than he thinks he is, and to that end, allowing her this little sense of victory actually is is a kindness. Which is again, you know, we we Mabel is so very upbeat and so very, you know, bouncy in in every sense of that word. Mm. You don't really think of her as being like. Not not that she can't be hurt, but most things bounce off of her. She does not, and maybe some of that is performative, possibly. You know, she is also a preteen, but it definitely, she definitely, in general, takes life less seriously than he does. So it's it's a little bit of a shock to be like, oh, this this kind of did bother her. This is this is a little bit of an issue for her. Oh, I think my favorite comedy line in this is when uh, um, Stan is talking to his nemesis, Gideon. Uh, it's, it's, it's ridiculous that Stan, this old man, his arch enemy, is this little kid. And, yes. And vice versa. Uh, but uh, when Gideon's trying to blackmail him, he's like, I'm going to... I'll text you a photo now! Stan shouts back, text me a photo? You're not even speaking English now. It's just, I, lo- I love anything that shows an antiquated sensibility and not being able to keep up with technology. Love that. Stan and Gideon work really well as uh, foils to each other because they're both just con artists. Yeah. And Stan's been in the game a lot longer than Gideon, and he knows a lot of tricks, but Gideon's got a lot of passion? Question mark? I don't know what to describe that. I do love that we get to see... That's a good word. I do love that we get to see that Stan is pretty hyper-competent when it comes to conning people and smelling a con when somebody's trying to run one on him. Mm. This is the first episode we really, really get to see Stan just effortlessly be like, no, Gideon, this isn't going to work. You're pathetic. Go away. When it, when it comes to the whole conning thing, yes, both of them are con artists, and both of them have access to actual significant power. That That is not what they're using, though. Instead, they rely on the fake stuff, which ends up coming back in uh, Boss Mabel. Here we are, the Summerween Superstore. Wait. Summer what? Summerween! The people of this town love Halloween so much they celebrate it twice a year. And wouldn't you know it, it's today! Do you always carry that calendar in your pocket? Yes. Summerween? 
Something about this feels unnatural. There's free candy. To the costume aisle! <laughs> when the children come to my door tonight, they're gonna run away screaming from Stan Pines, Master of Fright. I am so excited! We're gonna have the best costumes, get the most candy, and have the biggest stomach aches ever! Yeah! <laughs> yeah! Dude, I've never seen you guys so pumped. Well, back at home, me and Dipper were kind of the kings of trick-or-treating. Twins in costumes, the people eat it up. Well, you dudes better be careful out there. It's a night of ghouls and goblins, not to mention the Summerween Trickster. The summer what? What what? The trickster goes door to door, so the legend goes, eating children who lack the Summerween spirit. Well, you don't have to worry about us. We've got spirit to go around. Okay, so Summerween, the next one. One of my absolute favorites. It kind of reminds me of the Simpsons episode where they talk, They have Love Day um, as they invent a new holiday to sell merchandise. We had great penetration last year with Christmas too. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's basically, it, it's Halloween in the summertime, which allows them to have it during the chronology of the Pines twins staying with their grunkle as opposed to having to wait until the fall. So many fun little things in here about, you know, uh, crappy merchandising and so-called loser candy, which is the candy that no kids uh, end up liking, which there's, there's a lot of, like, little details where you're like, hang on a second. Loser One of the loser candies uh, uh, it referenced is saltwater taffy. And Candy, Mabel's friend, is dressed... As saltwater taffy, it's her costume. Oh, and, I uh, did not catch that. And I think uh, Candy and Grenda uh, uh, and Mabel would be considered, especially by the cool kids, uh, to be losers. Which, of course, you know, to us they are the most endearing of characters. So, you know, to begin with, you, you've got obviously a massive reference. To Ghost, is it Ghostface from because uh, uh, he never actually gets uh, named in um, Spirited Away, the Miyazaki film. No oh, face, no face, yeah. that's it, yeah. No face. Ghostface is the scream guy. Yeah, I was like, and, Mr. Ghostface. And that's, and that's N O H face. Yeah. As in a no mask. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there's, there is a, a most definitely a Miyazaki flavor to this sort of like Mark Hamill inflected. It's not actually Mark Hamill. He turns up later, but not in this episode. Uh, and uh, uh, But it's this sort of like spirit of Halloween who's kind of, well, sorry, spirit of Summerween who's kind of like Jack Skellington. Uh, but uh, he seems to really have a, a bitterness and immediately challenges the kids to get, is it a thousand pieces of candy by the end of the night? Yeah. 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 Uh, or, or else he will devour them. And to prove this, he devours a small child called, what was the kid? Gordy. Oh, yeah, Gordy. Yeah, to, lay, yeah. to lay down the stakes. And as usual, <laughs> with Gravity Falls, it's a sort of a comedy moment. So rather than kids being horrified, it's, it's like, you know, obviously Gordy comes back at the end and he is not chewed on the way down. Uh, but it's 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 they give you a spoonful of sugar from the loser candy to uh, to to just sort of like set set the stakes. Some of the loser candy includes sand pop, gummy chairs, Mister Adequate Bar, which if you're English uh, that would be a play on Mister Good Bar, homework the candy and gelatin product. <laughs> I love it. Okay, go Summerween. 
I'm, I'm remembering the, a, a very specific piece of loser candy I actually got as a kid uh-huh. many years running called Chico Stick. Mm-hmm. Is it like it, chicken it was, flavored candy or? Yes, it was legitimately chicken flavored. I was kidding. Was candy. Oh, gross! It's, it, oh. it was. It is so. It was so disgusting. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what. Just what, giving out individual packets of salad at that point. Yeah, it's. it's it, I don't know where. I don't know who came up with this stuff. I can't find it these days. Good. I can't even find anything on the internet. It's like some some sort of cryptid. They're not uh, yeah, inflicting but, it but upon it, kids anymore. It would come. It would come in these these huge packs of like bargain candy. Mm. It was like a, a mix of well, it was it was loser candy, but there was like this little little plastic wrap Jolly Rancher sized Chico stick, and I was like, why? I'm trying why to think is if there's a, a British version of loser candy. The one I would mention would be Winter Mix, which is liked by old people and Northerners, but it's basically it tastes of cloves. So if you if you like cloves and you yeah. want candy that tastes of it, yeah. it is like nauseating cough, to me. Like cough candy. Yeah. No, no, no. Like cough that. candy is quite tasty. That tastes of aniseed. Mm. This is cloves, and I want to puke my feet out of my mouth. Oh, oh, oh God! I found a listing for Chico Chico. <laughs> <laughs> Can oh, we order oh, it in Theo, bulk Theo, and send it so to Theo? Giving you a bag of these. <laughs> no. Wait, wait, I have to read the description. It's incredible. Remember Chicken Bones? The name has changed, but the candy remains the same. Everything from the recipe to the ingredients to the manufacturing process and even the manufacturing equipment is exactly as it was in the 30s when this candy was born. The 30s! So this was around until Theo's childhood, so most of the 20th century. See, I was starting to think it was some kind of fever dream. Is it real? No, no, you have to listen to this. This is so good. Just imagine the best freshly roasted Texas grade A jumbo peanuts. Those are sprinkled with salt while they're still warm and ground along with pure granulated sugar in a patented process. This concoction is then rolled into sticks that are the perfect mix of peanuts and crunchy candy. Then each is dusted with lightly toasted coconut. What you're left with is the most perfect candy on earth. It's kind of flaky, (laughs) kind of crunchy, kind of crispy, kind of chewy, and very peanutty. That doesn't sound chickeny at all. Oh, Oh. God. It didn't taste like peanuts. It never tasted like peanuts. What is... Do you know what, though? Wow. The, the well, loser candy I was going to suggest from my childhood, and because I'm a weirdo, I actually quite liked them, but they used to make these, like, sugar peanuts. Like, they were, there was no peanut inside, but they tasted like... Um, they weren't sweet enough, so they actually tasted like the skins off peanuts. I know what you mean. Yeah, they, they basically look like a little model of a peanut. Yeah, they moulded it into the full peanut in shell shape. Yeah. Uh, circus peanuts? <laughs> circus peanuts? That's, I mean, I'll, I'll just look for it. So, oh, yeah, no, that, I like circus peanuts. They're oh, horrible, sure, but I like peanuts. them. I hated those things. Oh, oh God. So, there is an the- episode of Gravity Falls called Summerween. What happens in it? <laughs> <laughs> Just to save a couple of people some tweets, the, the kid's name is Gorney that gets eaten. And then oh, that's it. Sorry. Thank you. And they need 500 pieces of candy. I just I wanted people to put the, put the Twitter down. 
Um. <laughs> I mean, look, it, so the main tension here is, uh, this reminds me of, um, oh, oh, by the way, we just looked up circus peanuts. They look a little bit like what they, we're talking about. Yeah, no, but, but those are more are like foam bananas. Yeah, we're talking something that's hard and like yeah. a boiled sweet. Yeah. We're very fond of boiled sweets in the UK. Yeah, we, we, we like boiling we're sugar till it's hard. everything in the UK. That's true. <laughs> we boil pizza. Um, <laughs> but, okay, so the, the tension of this episode is that Dipper doesn't want to do Halloween anymore. He thinks he's too old for it. And so he doesn't want to dress up in costume. He's dressed up as normal kid. And so when they do their first trick or treat, um, all of the kids look adorable because they've actually made an effort. And Dipper's there just as a normal kid. And the, the, the I think it's, is it Lazy Susan Lazy who's like, Susan. oh! And she gives them like one meagre piece of candy each yeah. as a result because she's unimpressed with Dipper and his lack of effort. So... It does kind of show the the two way uh, like element of trick or treat. Like you know, if you're a kid, you got to make the effort and actually like look cute and look like you're doing the Halloween thing. Mm-hmm. If you just look like a teenager going round, then people at the doors will be like, "Do I really want to treat you for this? You haven't made the effort, so why should I?" Which reminds me of the last time we went trick or treating with Lyra, mm-hmm. who now looks like a tall goth. And was just sort of dressed in her regular clothes, plus I, this awesome bowler hat with some makeup on. I thought she looked really, really good. She did. But she seemed gangly and slightly out of place and way taller than a lot of the other kids. Mm. So, so um, a teenager. Yeah. yeah. So, because she is very tall. Yeah. Which reminds me of the um, uh, Image Movies digital film Monster House, where it's like, this is our last Halloween. We are on the cusp. Mm. One thing I really like about how this adds to the Mabel and Dipper dynamic as well is that you get this little past history run of the fact that as twins they would frequently have two-part costumes Mm. in the past and this year the intention was for them to go or Mabel's intention was for them to go as peanut butter and jelly yeah pb and and j Um, Twins! Because because Dipper has bowed out, not only does that mean that he's not dressed up, he's also made Mabel's costume a little bit meaningless. Is she just peanut butter or jelly? She's got to be jelly, she's the sweet one. She's jelly, yeah. Yeah. So she's just jelly on her own. Mm. And this obviously ties in with the way that Americans go all out with you. I envy your Halloweens. Like, adult... Um, uh, centric parties of uh, for Halloween, people come dressed as wordplay jokes. We'd never do that in England. We're just so fucking killjoy. We would never come dressed as the Bay of Pigs, and then <laughs> we get the joke. So we became a swine lake. Mm. Well, there's there's various um, uh, aspects of. Halloween rejection in this country, all of which make me quite sad. Mm. Um, one is the teenagers and young adults who are just too cool for school, who basically just turn up dressed in black with what was it, six 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 written on their arm in eyeliner. Yep. yep. Um, ah. Parties. <laughs> yeah, yep. that was one. Um, and when I was a kid, I had always um, had Halloween parties. We, when I was very little, we lived on RAF bases, and I suppose in enclosed communities, it's a little bit easier to um, encourage the whole trick or treating, and everybody goes around somewhere for a, a party kind mm. of environment. And then we moved somewhere that was much more 
sort of traditional northern village, everybody was very heavily, at least performatively Christian. I threw a Halloween party and my friend's parents forbade them to come because it was a Halloween party. And they, Brilliant. You know, so that was a little uh, disappointing and kind of set the tone for Halloween from there on in. So Summerween. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Halloween is the best holiday. I would take a different... A costume. I would do a costume change between classes in college. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, very cool. And but I want to add a little bit of extra flavor to uh, the the Dipper problem with with not wanting to wear a costume because it's yeah. not because he thinks that he's too old for it. It's that he wants to impress Wendy. Uh. This is another in a long line of Dipper is trying to act older to impress Wendy and it hurting him and also Wendy not really caring about it because Wendy's super cool but Dipper is assuming and perceiving that Mm. Wendy would like him more if he acted more grown up. So Dipper is chasing what his perception of maturity is which is nonchalance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which he's learning off of the other teens that he's hanging out with like Robbie and the other knuckleheads. Mm. On their phones all the time. Yep. Yeah. Which which is funny because as I think we talked about last time, but you also see it here is the fact that Wendy likes Dipper for who he is and a little bit because he has that carefree nature of a little bit younger kid. Mm. Yeah. He has an enthusiasm to him that her friends are well past by this point. Yeah. That they would in fact be afraid to show if they felt it. Mm. My favourite uh, two gags in this episode are, uh, one, uh, the jack-o'-melons. The idea being yes. that since it's <laughs> summer, there's an abundance of watermelons, so they have them. Yes. And so they have to get these 500 pieces of candy before the last candle of the last jack-o'-melon goes out. Mm. And the other one is Seuss's endless fascination and amusement with this candy bowl that, that tells skeleton puns and is like a little talking skeleton. He's like... A hand, but I don't seem to have any. <laughs> <laughs> this guy tells it like it is. Sir, could you please stop pushing that? Ma'am, make these heads less hilarious, and you got yourself a deal. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. I love it. I love it. And the fact that at the end, it's like, uh, you know, we're all supposed to be hiding and not making any noise, but Seuss cannot resist pressing this skeleton to just get one more joke. It's brilliant. Yeah, and he, it, it, I like that the first one is out of batteries, so he tries again. <laughs> <laughs> he goes so far out of his way to blow their cover. Yeah. But then Seuss is the one who saves them, and, I, and that ends up being my favorite joke, is at the very end, as they're all just chuckling and eating the candy that Grunkle mm. Stan got off of the two kids, and Seuss just goes, hi, a man alive tonight, and they all just look at him. <laughs> <laughs> There's at least there's two gags pertaining to Alien in this, which, of course, for a kid, you shouldn't get that. There's like the, there's the bit where... Because uh, uh, the B story is Grunkle Stan is trying to scare these two boys. It's like, move on, kids. Mm. Like, these same two... Uh, is it the same two boys or just a bunch of... Yeah, of no, 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 it's the same two kids. But I, I really like that as the B story because that's almost... That's the flip side of what Dipper's trying to achieve. Yeah. He's, he's aiming for that perception of maturity and being cool and being nonchalant Mm. these little kids have it and that's making stan feel old because he feels like he doesn't have it anymore he's trying to kind of reach back for what dipper's trying Mm. to reach forward away from 
that reminds me of your parents who go all out for Halloween and like you know dress up and do the house up, and they live on this estate where they don't care for children, so children aren't even allowed to come trick or treating. Yeah. So it's like they've got this, you know, they've they've done the house up. They wish kids would come around so that yeah. they could go. Ooh. They used to do it really well in. They it, they've dialed it back a little bit now. Because they have to. They it's all point I, to I it. think they probably went all out to make up. To me, the fact that my Halloween parties fell flat once we'd moved yeah. off the base. Aww. Aww. <laughs> but yeah, no, so there's the, like, you know, he has waddles burst out of him, xenomorph style, and at the end, Seuss bursts out of the, uh, the no face, um, xenomorph style again. Uh, and uh, it's, it's got this, like, ever so slightly on the cusp of some of these references you shouldn't get as kids, but. Then you've got these slightly the the jaded kids that uh, Stan's trying to shock uh, themselves. Say, dude, we've been watching horror movies for ages. Nothing you do can scare us. Which kind of you know it, it alerts me to, and I say this to Lyra. This this whole like regarding things that are supposed to be scary and going, I'm not scared so hard that you deaden yourself. Mm. To, yeah. uh, to to being able to be get, feel a thrill of fear, so it's like you kind of move away from the 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 passions of being alive in in that regard. My my favorite gag in the entire episode is definitely Seuss hiding in the costume rack. Mm-hmm. If only there was something we could use to cover our bodies and faces with, you know, like a disguise of some. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Seuss, the second, this second, this back half of season one, Seuss absolutely becomes one of my favorite characters. Yeah. So hardcore because he is so genuine in everything he does. He gets some great one liners as well. He just gets to, he gets to keep saving the day and, um, uh, and just being able to, uh, like encapsulate the situation because they worked out that he can be as, um, as simple or as complex as the script requires him to be at this point. Well, I have an interesting, interesting theory about Seuss. No, go for it. <clears throat> Talking about all this, you know, um, you know, the deeper reading, like with Dipper possibly being a trans man, and um, well, you know, there's definitely some darker stuff here. But I almost get the impression that Seuss is somewhere on the autism spectrum. That would make sense. He seems like because he's you know he doesn't quite he doesn't quite get jokes sometimes and he doesn't quite he doesn't quite understand things in the way most people would and so I think maybe there's some neuroatypicality going on there hmm. which awesome because he's just a regular character and the other characters completely accept him for who he is and you know. It's it's very it's a good good thing showing for kids, but yeah, I was just like I just thinking about you know all our discussions. I'm like I wonder if he's you know if he was autistic or had Asperger's or something of along that line. Hmm. We will be talking about Seuss in further depth in later episodes. Meanwhile, as a postscript to our candy discussion, I would like to let folks know that I. Love saltwater taffy. I love this job more than I love taffy. And I'm a man who enjoys his taffy. Mmm. Ooh. Mmm. You can't get it in England. In England, our version of taffy comes in two flavors, fruit salads and 
blackjacks, which just tastes like pineapple and raspberry and aniseed. They're tiny. They are so fiddly to unwrap that it's not really worth it for the amount of candy you actually get. And they're really, really hard as opposed to saltwater taffy, which I always enjoy getting cups full of on import. And one of those flavors is chicken and waffles. And it's not bad. It's not my favorite by any means, but it's not bad. So chicken candy can work, just not as well as watermelon, grape, pina colada, and key lime. Just a couple a couple of things okay. that I would mention. Um, the, the C-plot in, in Fight Fighters mm-hmm. is the fact that Mabel figures out that Stan has a fear of heights. Mm-hmm. And one of the things she does is she buys him a pair of high heels. And every, I'm completely expecting Stan to be like, oh, that's girly. Or that's, you know, like, like have it, you know, like, oh, I'm too macho for that or whatever. And that is never once, that is not even brought up. Like, Stan seems pretty game to put them on. Well, no, that, that's, he's, his objection to putting them on is a, seems to be about what does turn out to be him having a fear of heights rather than the fact that that's a, that's a woman's thing, that's not a thing a man does. Which I got, again, adds, lends itself to the previous queer readings here. On, on a much darker note is the fact of the, the little, the, the implications that get brushed over in the show. At one point, I don't even remember where, which episode it is, but someone brings up someone else being from Columbia, and Stan makes an offhand comment I went about to prison there. Yes, nice. and I I was like, hold on a second. This is presumably he went to prison there in probably the seventies or the eighties. That almost certainly means he was running drugs. Oh my god! And I'm like, whoa. We we know Stan's a shyster and you know a real shady sort of guy. But my gosh, what, there are parts of Stan's past that we never find out in this show. Ah, ah. <laughs> he was pug trafficking. That, that's something he gets uh, uh, hauled over the coals for later. So we can assume that rather than drug dealing, he was pug dealing. There we go, yeah. Better to pull that back. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. Like, we can't apply too much real world seriousness to Gravity Falls. You know that if the writers were challenged with that, they'd find something way funnier than the cold, hard, miserable reality of drug smuggling. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, it's it's just one of those. It's like it's like. Me, me being the analytical person that I am, if my brain's gonna go there, you get pure, uncut Colombian pugs. <laughs> this is primo pug. Stan, Stan is a con artist. Mm. Like, oh, no, so he'd be passing where off. Dog is gonna come from. So he'd be passing off pugs from Wisconsin as pure Colombian. <laughs> <laughs> This puts an entirely new slant on the two little demon pugs that we encounter when I take Indy for a walk in the morning. Oh, he's, nice. he's terrified of them. They come up to about his ankles, and he is terrified of them. Well, just because they're very small and loud, and yes. they're Robbie. They're intimidated by Indy, <laughs> so they bark very loudly at him. Uh, Theo, uh, any anything that uh, you've been wanting to say, but we've, we've been very loud and, and cutting you off in, uh, all the time. Oh, I, I, I just love the the... the 
non-existent gender dynamics between Mabel and Dipper just overall. Mm. It's, it's it's never a question of, oh, you're, you're the girl twin, so you could do the girl stuff, and you're the boy twin, you do the boy stuff. It's like they don't talk to each other in that way. They don't relate to each other. Like, mm. oh, okay, you're the boy, and you're the girl. They're... They're just siblings. They they take each other at face value, and they know each other. And it's just a really healthy brother sister relationship. Yeah. It would have been so easy. Like if if Gravity Falls were a show that aired maybe ten fifteen years prior hmm. by someone different uh, at the helm, it, it would have had a different, completely different dynamic. It, it would have been might, Invader it, Zim. Yeah, it, it would have been. Yeah. It would have been a, a little less uh, non-problematic, shall we say. It, it would have had. It wouldn't have been as terrible as, say, Invader Zim. Although I, I do kind of like Invader Zim. Oh, I don't, I, I don't like Invader Zim, but it's yeah, like it, it, Zim, but... they they have diff- like it's you can't really compare these two. One of them is they're trying for completely different things. Yeah, Invader Zim is very venomous, mm. and whereas Gravity Falls is very sugar coated. Yes. And underneath is just more sugar. It just tastes weird. <laughs> <laughs> if, Which eventually if that makes, makes any you, sense. Yeah. I don't know what my brain is doing right now, but no, it, it makes sense. sense. It makes you start writing a dolphin that develops arms, yeah. which open yes. out and develop into four dolphins, and they start spinning and more hands. And <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the inside of Mabel's head is a very scary place, and I love it. Yeah. Yes. Hey, Stan. Hi, Uncle Stan. Hello, Hello Mr. Mr. Pines. How's it hanging? Hey, Dipper. Wendy! I didn't see you at the party. Where were you? Uh, I, uh... I was trick-or-treating with my sister. Yeah. Mm, the party was lame anyway. Robbie ate a lollipop stick first and had to go home sick. Aw, <laughs> oh, man. We went to every single house and we didn't even get to eat any candy. Candy? How's that for candy? And now back to the fear guy from Terror Town Street. I ate a man alive tonight. School of Movies is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolf, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Evan Jankowski, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Gasiga, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joseph Gluck, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Lukes, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Scott Jacob, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. And before we go, how about you folks let everyone know where to find you and especially some work that you are proud of. Uh, start with Debbie and Caro. You can find us at sequentially-yours.com uh, where we talk about comics, comic-related media. I, I'm proud of a lot of stuff. Uh, still, my I think my favorite video that I did was I went through uh, the Swamp Thing and analyzed the Swamp Thing American Gothic run. I'm very, very happy with how that came out. 
I, I am on in some of the episodes, mainly the uh, movie analysis, movie vlog episodes on sequentially-yours.com. And I'm also on Twitter. And I generally, if we see a movie, I generally have, you know, a tweet thread about it and my thoughts. And um, I did one not too long ago on The Shining and one on Dr. Sleep that I, that I am quite, quite proud of. Um, so nice. feel free to chat with me about that. I love to hear about that. And I am, a, I am an avid fan of cat Twitter. So it, any, I, I never do not want to see pet photos. Pug photos, got it. <laughs> uh, Theo, uh, what what are you a part of? Uh, I'm I'm a voice actor for a wonderful drama called New Century, the New Century of Multiverse, and everyone should listen to it. And Victoria. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Vixen Witch, where the W is two V's because I like to live deliciously. Um, <laughs> Mainly the contributions that I give are to this podcast where you can hear me talking about all kinds of queer theory and why J.K. Rowling is a turf. I hope that episode comes out at some point. Uh, that will have been um, out already by the time people listen to it. Beautiful. I actually went Excellent. back and re-listened to that. And it was, it was, I was like, wow, I'm actually like really proud of how this episode went. It's a good one. Except now she's even mask off. So like it was even, anyway, uh-huh. it doesn't matter. Um <laughs> But I, I've recently been writing a, a tabletop RPG that may or may not be out there sometime in the future. We'll see. And you can certainly follow me on Twitter for um, random destiny observations and paraphernalia of that nature. Okay, and that is all from Gravity Falls tonight. Tune in next week, folks, for the conclusion of our Season 1 episodes. Mabel pre-enacts The Shape of Water... Uh, we meet a cray-cray boy band, and we get the return of an amazing villain and the first full appearance of the biggest, baddest triangle of them all. So I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And Falls Out.